right now on Matter of Fact. It's a question Americans are not used to asking. Get rid of the ballot. Will your vote count this November? Plus, the post office was founded with a special mission to serve every American and promote democracy. Even if it weren't profitable, we would still want to be able to reach every American regardless of zip code. So how did Ben Franklin's popular institution become a political lightning rod? Then, a pandemic and protests left many feeling helpless. It's hard on the world when you really look at what's happening and what we could do to stop it. But a random act of kindness planted a seed of hope. I'm Soledad O'Brien. Welcome to Matter of Fact. Barriers to the ballot are not new for black and brown people in America, from poll taxes and literacy tests to intimidation and physical violence. All were blatant forms of efforts to suppress the vote. Well, today, voter suppression is the result of overly strict voter ID laws, complicated rules for mail-in ballots, extreme consolidation of the number of polling places, and mass purging of voters from election rolls. Some examples, Oklahoma, where state law requires absentee ballots to be notarized. Texas, where vulnerability to COVID-19 can't be used as a reason to get an absentee ballot. Or Kentucky, where just one polling place was open during the primary election in Jefferson County, which serves roughly 600,000 registered voters. Given the patterns of suppression efforts, how many people could be turned away from the polls in November or find out that their ballots didn't count? Janae Nelson is the Associate Director Counsel of the NAACP's Legal Defense and Education Fund and a member of its litigation and policy teams. In your introduction, uh, I gave some examples of what we're seeing around the country for voter suppression. What are you focused on legally? Well, we have been fighting a number of voter suppression tactics for, for years, uh, particularly since the 2013 decision. Within two hours, of that decision coming down, the state of Texas vowed that it would enact a uh, very draconian uh, voter ID law that would prevent uh, mainly African-American and Latinx voters from having access to the ballot. For example, if you were a student at a state school, that voter ID was not sufficient to give you access to the ballot, but if you had a gun carry permit, you could vote. So we challenged that law. Uh, the judge held that that law was not only intended to discriminate, but it also had a clear disproportionate impact on particular communities. And we ultimately uh, were able to see that law be reformed and improved to allow a greater number of voter IDs to be accepted for voting, but it's still one of the strictest laws in the country. And since the Voting Rights Act was narrowed in 2013. 35 states now have some form of voter ID in effect. Plenty of people would say, hey, you need an ID to drive, you need an ID if you want to buy liquor at the grocery store, why not an ID to be able to vote? Yeah, that's an excellent question because many of us, you know, have an ID in our pockets and, and uh, really would have no problem meeting that requirement. But if they don't have, for example, certain documentation, if they don't have a birth certificate that's original, if they don't have a utility bill in their name, there are many ways in which the presumption that everyone has a voter ID is deeply, deeply flawed. 
Let's move to talk a little bit about the mail. Uh, are we expecting more people to vote by mail just simply because of coronavirus? And, and what are your concerns around uh, mail-in ballots? Absolutely. Uh, the pandemic has added a layer of uh, difficulty to what is already a challenging voting process. But we must make sure that we've filled out our ballots completely, that we've met all of the requirements of our particular state. For example, if there's a witness requirement, if there's a signature requirement, uh, or if there's any other requirement in your particular state, make sure you know what those requirements are and you meet them. We happen to be challenging the re witness requirements in Alabama and Louisiana uh, and other places because we're concerned that those requirements, for example, in Alabama, where you're required to have two witnesses sign your mail-in ballot, that requirement directly conflicts with the guidance from the CDC, and it directly conflicts with what we know about the transmission of the coronavirus. I want to turn and talk about Florida. There was an amendment, as you well know, that would give voting rights back to felons, um, and a federal appeals court has uh, agreed that now the felons have to pay their fines first before they're able to vote. Uh, many say this is sort of a modern-day poll tax. What's actually at work here, and how do you see this playing out? Some of those bills can be uh, uh, astronomical and, and, and possible for someone who is just trying to stabilize themselves uh, to pay. But what's even more concerning is that the state doesn't really have an apparatus for determining how much an individual returning citizen actually owes. The good news is that the Florida Rights Restoration Coalition, which is a wonderful organization that's been at the helm of this effort, has been uh, raising money to help pay those fines and fees on behalf of returning citizens. Janae Nelson from the NAACP's Legal Defense and Education Fund. So nice to talk to you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Great speaking with you, too, Soledad. Coming up next, what would it take to expand the Supreme Court? And a bold plan to create black-owned farms. Land ownership in the broader sense of community gives you a voice. Congressional investigations, lawsuits, threats from the president, the United States Postal Service has had a chaotic summer. In an election likely to see the most mail-in votes ever, Postmaster General Louis DeJoy implemented changes that could slow the process. A federal judge, in turn, recently blocked those changes. So how did the Postal Service get so politicized? One reason is that it's in financial trouble. In 2006, Congress passed a law requiring the Postal Service to set aside billions of dollars each year to cover health benefits for future retired employees. It hasn't been able to make payments since 2011. We asked our special contributor, Joey Chen, to look into the post office's past and what might be in store for its future. You can go a long way on 55 cents to just about the farthest corner of the United States, Bethel, Alaska. It's not an island, but you can't get there by road because there isn't one. No roads lead to Bethel, so if you want anything delivered, it's usually going to be by plane. In this part of America, even a 55 cent first class letter is a lifeline. I don't think that most people know what it's like out here. 
Melanie Fredericks is a member of the native Yupik community. Up here, she knows internet service is not a given. Amazon trucks don't deliver. But this is America, too. And Frederick says it needs the connections only the post office delivers. Just like with anything else that connects us to each other and connects us to the rest of the world, the rest of the country, it's not okay to just cut us off. Another 55 cent stamp will take you 3,800 miles from Bethel, way down to Maryland's eastern shore, where I asked Sandy Sepp if she thinks her work is very much different from the post office up there. I'm going to say not. As a roll carrier, you're, you are the connection. Uh, we always used to say we were the post office on wheels. On her route, Sepp delivered that daily connection, the birth announcements and the bills, junk mail and vital prescriptions for nearly four decades until she retired this summer. 21601 Easton, but my route was Route 5, and I was Route 5 for 38 years. I never switched to another route. Like Sandy Sepp, the post office has a long history of community service. The very first postmaster general, Ben Franklin, created a network of roads along the Atlantic coast, where you can still find old post roads today. By the early 1900s, Americans trusted the postal service so much that parents used parcel post to mail their children, a practice the postmaster general begged them to stop. The service has long provided opportunity. Today, nearly four in 10 workers are people of color, and a full 40% are women. The Postal Service consistently ranks as America's favorite federal agency. And despite its dire financial straits, $8.8 billion in losses last year alone, some, like New Yorker writer Casey Sepp argue, we can't afford to lose the Postal Service. Is that really true? I think it's absolutely true. Sepp acknowledges her bias. Her mom is retired carrier Sandy Sepp. But she also points out that even the founding fathers understood the value of the Postal Service. You know, you say that, but sometimes history is just quaint. I mean, Yeah, sure, sure. And it's certainly true, the history of the Postal Service is incredibly quaint and, and you know, full of Americana, you know. But is it also outmoded? No, absolutely not. I mean, look, I think that a lot of our lives have moved online, but not all of it. And, and the pandemic has been a fine example of that for a lot of people. Even during the pandemic, the Postal Service has delivered. CDC safety guidelines, mail-in votes, and the 2020 census, along with all the usual mail. But the pandemic has cut into first class and junk mail, the USPS's major sources of revenue. Contrary to what many believe, taxpayers don't fund postal service operations. All those stamps and packages do. In fact, supporters argue if Congress would just lift the demands it put on the USPS to fund worker health care and retirement seven decades in advance, the postal service could even be profitable. But even if it weren't, we would still want it. Even if it weren't profitable, we would still want to be able to reach every American regardless of zip code which is what the Founding Fathers intended 245 years ago, to connect Americans from 99559 to 21601 and beyond. For Matter of Fact, I'm Joey Chen on Maryland's Eastern Shore. Next. Is this reparation? Is this guilt? Is this support? Money from strangers. I was like, what am I supposed to do with this? What would you do? Plus. 
can one emoji describe everything you've experienced in 2020? With the fight to replace the late Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg well underway, Senate Republicans appear to have the confirmation votes needed. We wanted to look at how nine became the magic number for justices. The court originally had six justices, at some points only five, sometimes seven. During the Civil War, ten. The current standard of nine has been in place since 1869, though there's nothing in the Constitution that says the court can only have nine justices. The odds of filling a vacancy during an election year have not been good. The Senate has not confirmed an election year nominee since 1932. Republican leaders in the Senate say they will act quickly once President Trump announces his choice for the court. And if President Trump fills the vacancy this close to the election, some congressional Democrats say they're going to try to expand the court. That could only happen if Democrats gain control of the White House and the Senate this November. Coming up, if you had to sum up 2020 with one emoji, what would it be? Finally, which emoji would you use to sum up 2020? Sad face or red face angry emoji? If those won't do, you'll probably find the perfect one in the latest round of emojis. The Unicode Consortium plans to release more than 200 animated figures, but the emoji that's capturing everyone's attention is the face with spiral eyes emoji. It's also known as a face unwell. You find it by searching keywords like, oh no, trouble, whoa, and yikes. All fitting descriptions of 2020, I think. It will be a while, though, before you can use those emojis to describe your mood. The updated emojis are expected to be available for your cell phone between January and October of next year. Hopefully, by that time, 2020 will seem like forever ago. That's it for this edition of Matter of Fact. I'm Soledad O'Brien, and we'll see you back here next week. Welcome back to Matter of Fact, a political divide that seems like it's growing wider, protests and a pandemic. It may seem like it will take a huge force to heal our divisions, but small gestures can sometimes lead to monumental change. That's what happened when a chef in La Crosse, Wisconsin, received a random act of kindness in the mail. Our correspondent Jessica Gomez reports it planted a seed of hope. Everybody has to eat. That's the way that I look at it. Um, it's one way that we can all come together. This is where you'll find Adrienne Lipscomb in the kitchen of her uptown cafe and bakery. The restaurant in La Crosse, Wisconsin, surrounded by rolling hills and valleys known for its rich farmland. So we have the opportunity to really kind of understand where our food comes from, how it's grown. How are you? Adrian, a former city planner from Texas, is one of only a handful of black business owners in town. So, I mean, there is a given day where I don't see another black person. Yeah. <laughs> black boys, black boys. 
It was in the middle of the George Floyd protest just over the border in Minneapolis that something strange started happening. It began with a check in the mail, $100 from a stranger, with a card that simply said, keep dancing. I was like, is this reparation? Is this guilt? Is this support? You know, I, I, I don't know exactly what it is because there was nothing that was written on it. And then the next day is when um, I received a message about asking for my Venmo to send me money again. That's when she had an idea. And I said, I'm going to buy land and I'm going to buy black land. Adrian started a GoFundMe page. Her project called 40 Acres and a Mule, a reference to short-lived reparations that gave former slaves land after the Civil War, only to be taken back a short time later. Today, black farmers own less than 2% of America's farmland. It allows you to be a part of the city, the town that you're in, and it also gives you a right. It feels like you have, a, you have a voice. This is amazing work, glad to support. Adrian's voice, loud and clear. In just a couple of months, she's raised more than $120,000. Kathleen Peelhop, one of the first to donate. I have two small children, and I want to make sure that we're, the world that they're growing up in um, is going to be kind. I want to make sure that they turn out to be good humans, and I think in order to do that, you have to lead by example. Bike shop owner Robbie Young didn't think twice about donating. Diverse communities are better for all of us, different perspectives, uh, even just having different food options makes a place a, a better place to live, right? And fruit farmers, Harry and Jackie Hoke, who sell to Adrian's Cafe, offering to help train new farmers, sharing what they've learned over 30 years of farming. How do you find a space at the table if you if you don't even have a chair to sit in? And we would give like our vegetables or whatnot to our neighbors. That Adrian's mission catching on through social media. Companies and agriculture groups in Wisconsin and around the country offering to help. We get contacted by a lot of people who are interested in farming, so a lot of black people are interested in farming, but they don't know where to go and how to start. And then his brother owns the other property, so... We also get contacted by organizations that have an interest in helping black farmers, but they don't even know where to start. We tracked down the woman who sent that very first check. Turns out she's a customer of Adrian's, although the two have never met. The retired mother of a police officer wants to remain anonymous, but says during the pandemic and the protest, she felt compelled to help. I'm going to try not to cry because <laughs> it's um, it's hard. It's really hard when you really look at what's happening and what we could do to stop it. So I really do thank her for pushing me in the direction to literally get up and do something. You look so cute in your little dress. Something like the mother of four hopes will help plant the seeds of change. It shows that there's hope and that people believe in a future. And that to me makes me fight harder. It really shows that that we're good, that people are good. Here you go. Thank you. You have a wonderful day. Bye, ladies. Bye. In La Crosse County, Wisconsin, for matter of fact, I'm Jessica Gomez. Coming up, the Supreme Court started with only six justices, then... At some points, only five, sometimes seven, ten. 
Should the court expand again?